Good morning. Today's scripture is Matthew 6, 9 through 15. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive, our, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Thank you, Chris, for reading Scripture for us this, this morning. That should be a familiar verse for all of us, seeing how we all just prayed that <laughs> together as a church. Uh, you can turn there in your Bibles, actually, so if you have a Bible with you, turn uh, with me to Matthew chapter 6 and that section on uh, prayer uh, and verses, as Chris read for us, 9 through 15, but uh, we'll we'll touch on some things uh, earlier in that section too, starting in verse 5. So this morning, we're beginning uh, what I call our summer series. And so uh, we're taking a break. We've been going through the book of Matthew um, taking one chapter at a time as we move through. Uh, but over the summer, I figured it'd be good to put a pause on that. We'll still be touching on Matthew here and there and using kind of what we've uh, looked at so far in that book uh, as the basis for this series. Uh, but So for the next eight weeks, we'll be spending our time together focusing on uh, practices. And so these go by many names, spiritual practices, you might hear spiritual disciplines, you might hear holy habits, Uh, they they go by many names, Uh, but we'll be taking a look, like a really practical look, at how exactly we're supposed to live out these different things that scripture commands us to do, the first of those being prayer. So this morning we'll look at prayer, uh, and then we'll spend the next three weeks, this is kind of where we're going, we'll spend the next three weeks, uh, we'll spend a week on fasting, we'll spend a week on solitude, we'll spend a week on scripture, uh, and then we'll spend four weeks on the practice of Sabbath, uh, which we see in scripture. Uh, That one we're kind of extending because it's my perception that Sabbath, resting, is something that today in our world we're not very good at. Um, So I've chosen to call this series Practices, but you might hear them referred to as other things. If you've heard spiritual disciplines, then uh, you might have realized that discipline carries with it uh, somewhat of a negative connotation. Practice maybe has a more positive connotation. We understand practice and, and what practice means, Uh, because we have grown up with sports or with music, and so uh, we kind of get those things. We get the idea of practice, and it's really no different in the life of following Jesus. You must learn to do these things and do them repeatedly if you are to grow or to get better at them. So there's a purpose to all of this and a reason that we're doing this this summer, Uh, In his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, uh, that author, Donald Whitney, says discipline without direction is drudgery. And so that's some good alliteration, but it's also a good message for us. We're not going through this series to simply uh, partake in some lifeless rules that are given to us from an old book. 
right? We're, we're going through this series because we are headed somewhere. There's a purpose to these things. That somewhere, that purpose, is the goal of becoming more like Jesus. As we do these things, we will find ourselves drawing closer to God. As we draw closer to God, we will find ourselves becoming more like him. And as we become more like him, then hopefully those around us will catch on and will become more like him as well. Uh, And so here's kind of how this will work. Today's sermon is really only the beginning for you. Back there on, on a seat next to Glenn, Uh, are some packets, uh, which are your homework. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Not homework. Uh, So I've gathered a resource from a ministry called Practicing the Way. Uh, It's a ministry based in Portland. Uh, And I've simplified it a bit, but there's a weekly guide to each practice. And so this morning, this sermon on prayer is really just the beginning for you. I encourage you to take one of those guides with you. I'll remind you at the end of the sermon too. I'll take one of those guides with you this week for you to expand on what I'll be preaching here. It's only four days worth of content, and there's seven days in a week. So hopefully you can fit in the four days within seven days. Um, But those guides will uh, really just be an extension of this teaching time this morning, an extension of this sermon, and uh, hopefully those guides will help you put these things into practice. Uh, And so let me pray for us this morning, and then uh, let's take a look at prayer. Father, we thank you um, for the uh, instructions that you have given to us in your word, uh, for the things that we are supposed to be doing in order uh, to spend time with you, to be conformed to your image, uh, and God, to be a blessing to others around us. And so, God, may, may your word speak to us this morning. Uh, God, may, they, may these things not just be uh, things that we do, um, but God, may we do them with purpose and with the goal of becoming more like Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. So in that passage that Chris read for us earlier, Jesus uh, starts by saying, uh, when you pray. So he's assuming that his disciples, his followers, will pray as a regular practice in their lives. All of us are probably well aware of that expectation from Jesus that we should be people who pray. I think all of us would agree that praying is a good thing, that it brings some sort of benefit to to our lives or to the lives of other people. It's usually the thing that we turn to when uh, a need comes up. Well, let's pray about that. I also think that sometimes that expectation, that uh, feeling that we have as people that we should be praying, uh, produces some amount of guilt within us. Well, you know, if I haven't prayed in a while, then I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, often we think, well, I don't pray as much as I should, and oftentimes that drives us into less prayer and not more. That lack of prayer can happen for any number of reasons. Maybe we are too busy and we don't take that time out of our day to pray. Maybe we feel like God hasn't answered a prayer, something that we've asked for in the past. 
And so we're a little afraid that maybe he won't answer again in the future. Maybe we don't know how to pray, right? We can't find the right words to say when we're praying. Maybe we think that, you know, the other, the people who are better than us at prayer will handle it. They'll take care of it. I don't need to pray, right? Other people are praying. Whatever our reason for not praying in, Jesus gives us a solution to these things. He gives us a simple, practical way to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is what we pray as a church every Sunday. First, start here. Start by acknowledging God's authority. You do that by praying our Father in heaven. This prayer acknowledges a lot of things at once. Acknowledges God's love for you as a father loves his children. Acknowledges God's position of authority over you as a parent has authority over a child. Acknowledges God's role of creator as the one who knows you better than anyone else, the one who made you. So start there when you pray. Next, express your desire for God to be held in high esteem by praying, hallowed be your name. That line of the Lord's Prayer recognizes God's glory, attributes glory to his name. Once you've done those two things, then then you can begin to ask for things. But ask for the things that God wants first. Ask for God's kingdom to come, right? Express some amount of longing for uh, the restoration of the world. Pray for the fulfillment of Jesus' preaching message that we've been looking at, right? The kingdom of heaven has come near. So ask for God's kingdom to come. Next, ask for God's will to be done. Express a longing for God to work things out according to how he thinks they should be worked out and not maybe how we think. Ask for daily bread, your need for daily provisions. Ask for forgiveness for the many wrongs that we commit each day. It's really our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins. We've talked about that in the book of Matthew. Ask for freedom from Satan who attacks us, often acknowledging the spiritual battle that is around us every day. So that's a short breakdown of the Lord's Prayer and what these things mean. Jesus lays out for us here, it's a preformed prayer of how to pray. So if we don't have the words to pray, if we don't know how we should start, this is a good place to begin. It's also what's known as a liturgy, in the church world, if you're familiar with that word. And liturgy is important, right? This provides us with a foundation. It reminds us of the simplicity of prayer. Unifies us together as a people. When we all pray for the same thing in unison, we're reminding ourselves of what we can all have in common. Now, what's dangerous about liturgy is when we begin to just go through the motions, When these words from Jesus here become just words and they begin to lose their meaning for us. I don't think Jesus meant when he says this, I don't think he meant pray this every time. 
This is a good thing to pray, a good thing to pray these exact words. But I think he means start here. Right? There are other examples in the New Testament of Jesus praying, and he doesn't always pray exactly the Lord's Prayer. He prays for other things that fit into the framework of the Lord's Prayer. So return here when you don't know how to pray. Return to this when you need to be reminded of what is most important for you. Return to this when we all need to pray together in unity. But prayer is not just a one-way street. Typically, when we try to simplify prayer and define it a little bit and say what it means, we, we simply say, well, prayer is talking to God. And that's true. Prayer is talking to God. But it's also much more than that. Prayer is not just a one-way street, but a two-way street. There is a difference between talking to God and talking with God. As we grow in our ability to pray, prayer becomes more of a conversation than anything else. We begin to not just talk at God, but we begin uh, to talk with him. It's not just as if we're recording a voicemail that he'll listen to later, or like in the movie Bruce Almighty when there's uh, God's email and there's just all these unanswered prayers in there, right? It's not how prayer works. God is not just far away and, you know, maybe he'll hear what we're saying, right? God is close with us. He is there and we can talk with him as if he was across the table from us. You talk with him as if he is with you and actively listening to what you are saying because in reality, he is there listening to what you're saying. See, eventually we reach a point in prayer where we not only acknowledge certain things about God, we not only ask God for things, but we begin to tell God things about ourselves. He already knows those things, that's true, before we tell him. But in prayer, God wants us to tell him the things that he already knows about us. We open up to him about how we're handling certain situations in life. We talk with him about maybe the emotions that we have surrounding those events. Because we begin to understand that, well, God has emotions too. We express thanksgiving over something that God may have done in our lives recently. Or, on the other side of that, maybe we express a lament or a frustration with something that God maybe hasn't done or hasn't answered recently. At this stage of prayer, when we begin to talk with God, perhaps we begin to journal our prayers. Maybe we write them out, almost as if we are writing a letter to God. As we look at those prayers, if we write them out, they begin to look maybe more like a psalm than anything else. Right? Like Psalm 42, verse 5, which says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's through that psalm that we can kind of see that conversation, the tug and the pull as we wrestle with these things. When you begin to talk with God, you move out of simply praying because of obligation. You move into praying out of 
desire. Talking with God because you want to, not because you feel like you have to or because you feel like you should. At this stage, you not only pray to God during that time of daily prayer that you have set, maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's at night, but you begin to talk with God throughout the day whenever something pops into your mind. You involve him not only in the big things, right, whenever there's a big need that pops up and you think you should pray, you involve him not only when things go wrong, but in the small things too. And when things go right, you acknowledge him. See, at this stage, when you begin to talk with God, you begin to not only pray for people, but you begin to intercede for them. Like what Moses did in Exodus chapter 32. You stand in the gap between people and God and you pray something like this. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. And see Moses there interceding, taking the place of the people, taking on maybe even the punishment for them. That's what it means to talk with God. Sometimes in prayer, there's a need for us to stop talking altogether. Sometimes we talk too much. <laughs> and we need to take a break. If prayer is really a two-way street, if it's a two-way communication between us and God, then we are missing all of the communication from God down to us if we are talking the entire time. If we ask God for something and we want him to answer us, then we need to take time listening to his answer or listening for his answer. But how do we listen, right? This This is tough for us especially with the busyness of our lives and all the chaotic things going on and the whirlwind that we find ourselves in. Excuse me. To listen means that first we have to stop. We have to pause. We have to literally stop ourselves from everything. We have to try to set aside every distraction. Try to stop our minds from wandering all over the place, from this thing to that thing. This is really one of the most difficult things about prayer. We're good at setting aside the time and closing our eyes and, and praying. Maybe what we're not so good at is stopping ourselves from thinking about other things when we're trying to pray. So often we complain, maybe that God isn't speaking to us, but question really is, are we listening? Are our lives quiet enough for us to be able to hear his voice? Now, the primary way that God speaks to his people is through his word. So to listen to God, we, well, we meditate on scripture. That is a way to listen for God's voice. So there are many ways to do this, but a simple way is first to read God's word, to find a passage and to work through it slowly, work it over in your mind, pick out words or phrases that stand out to you, reread it over and over again. This is what scripture might call chewing on it, right? Then after we've read it, we reflect on it. We think about what the words that stood out to us might mean. We think about 
their implications, and we wrestle with that. Then we respond, right? We think about what those words might mean for us, and then we begin to ask, well, what might God be saying to me through this? And then finally, we, we rest on it. We just let it sit. There are other ways to hear the voice of God as well, other than through Scripture. God can speak to us through our circumstances, right? The things that might be happening in our lives, God might be trying to say something to us. When Natalie and I were in a car accident last year, it became pretty clear that uh, God wanted me to slow down and to stop being so distracted. That's one way we might hear the voice of God. God can speak to us through our desires, things that we want, the things that we don't want. God can either affirm those things or he can challenge them. It's a way you might hear God's voice. Prophecy, dreams, other ways that we can hear the voice of God. But the most important thing about listening for the voice of God in prayer is that God will never contradict his character or his word. If you hear God telling you to do something that is against his character or his word, it might not be the voice of God. The tricky part about this is that we must remember that Satan loves to deceive us. He would love nothing more than to fool us into thinking that God is saying something to us when really he isn't. So if you think God is telling you something, if you've listened to God and, and you think that there might be something that he is telling you, run it by those that you trust, those in your community, your friends, uh, a mentor, and see if that is truly the voice of God in your life. The last part of prayer is simply being with God. So when was the last time that you simply sat in God's presence. You didn't say anything to him. Didn't expect him to say anything to you. You just sat there. You were still before him. You know, I think sometimes with prayer, we get so caught up in the things that we are supposed to be doing. We want to do prayer. We want to check the box because we feel like we should. We want to, to talk and to listen. We've made it into this task that requires really an immense amount of effort. We're human beings, right? We're, we're not human doings. So sometimes we just need to be. We just need to be with God in his presence. See, prayer then is not just talking to God or God talking to us, prayer, it's a posture of our hearts. We talk with so much more than our words. What's neat about prayer is that we can mimic that posture of our hearts with our bodies, right? We, we do the eyes closed, heads bowed pretty well. There are other ways that followers of Jesus have prayed over the centuries, right? Mac and Lynn went to the Amish service and people were on their knees, Praying before God. This might mean opening your hands and uh, pointing upwards to acknowledge the receiving of a, a blessing. See, what does it say to God if we sit still quietly before him and shows him that we love him? We remember that he loves us. 
shows him that we want to be with him and we're reminded that he is with us. We tell him that we enjoy being with him. It's not a burden for us. It actually frees us. And the same is true. He wants to be with us. See, when we do this, we realize the same is true for God. Just as badly as we should want to talk with him, he wants to talk with us. Just as badly as we should want to be with him, he wants to be with us. So this is why Jesus says, uh, before he even gets into the Lord's Prayer, verses 7 and 8, he says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Even if we pray without words, God still knows what we need. You see, simply being with God can be a fulfillment of the Lord's Prayer. So what better way to acknowledge God's authority than by sitting in his presence, which forces you to recognize his power and his presence everywhere and his majesty? What better way to bring glory to God's name than by showing him that he is worthy of your time and that you just want to be with him? What better way to desire God's kingdom to come than by spending time recognizing that his kingdom has already come near and you just want to be there in it? What better way to ask for daily bread than by recognizing that it is God who you need the most? What better way to ask for the forgiveness of sins than by being in the presence of the one who can forgive sins? What better way to avoid temptation than by being in the presence of the Holy One who wants us to be holy like him? And so how do we, how do we grow in these things? How do we kind of advance through these stages, if these are stages, talking to God, talking with God, listening to God, and being with God? How do we become people of prayer? How do we become people who have a personally meaningful and mutually beneficial prayer life? Well, simply we have to do it. (laughs) We have to pray. If we want to get better at something, we have to practice. This is why they're called spiritual practices. I think all of us would say that we want to be a praying church, and I think that we are. I think that we are a praying church. There's always room to grow. So as I said at the beginning of the sermon, back in the sanctuary are practice guides for you to take with you. Do these with someone. uh, Help keep you accountable for that. Those guides will go into more detail about what I've talked about in the sermon. They'll provide for you a step-by-step guide of how to pray. So we grow in prayer by praying. We also grow in prayer by looking at what Scripture says about prayer and how others have prayed before us. We grow in prayer by reading about prayer. Maybe we read a book by a Christian author about what it means to pray. We grow in prayer by praying with other people. Maybe it's time to start up that Wednesday night prayer meeting again here at the church. So in the book of John, as Jesus was about to go to the cross, he prayed. He actually prayed for us. That's pretty cool, 
right? That this prayer from Jesus has transcended 2,000 years after, and he had us in mind for it. So let me uh, read for us as we close. John chapter 17, you don't have to turn here, uh, verses 20 through 26. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus' prayer there. Jesus' heart for us is to be united, to be one, as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. But God, also for us to be reminded of God's unity with us and how he has connected to us through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Because of that, God, we're reminded of God's presence, your presence with us. We're reminded that we are able to talk with you anytime, any moment. God, what it means to be unified with you is for us to take advantage of that. God, may we take advantage of that this week as we learn to pray. We learn to be with you. And God, may you remind us that you answer. May we see many wonderful things happening as a result of our time spent with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.